This is Authors Alcove, where writers learn from writers. Readers get the inside scoop, and everyone learns something. An episode comes out every Wednesday, where writers share their latest work. Every other Tuesday, where us writers get taught by such experts as editors, book cover artists, and marketing execs, and beyond. So grab a cup of coffee, and let's dive into our next book. Welcome to Strength, Love, and Healing with Authors Alcove. I am your host, Angie Wolf. Today, I have Wendela Whitcomb-Marsh. She is an award-winning author, sought-after speaker, and autism expert specializing in late-diagnosed autism. She's also the founder of and CEO of Adult Autism Assessment and Services, a neurodiversity-affirming group practice, providing assessment for autism and ADHD counseling. And she's also a life coach, her books include Recognizing Autism in Women and Girls and the series Adulting While Autistic. Today, we will be discussing why so many people are not diagnosed until adulthood as having autism, as well as how autism is different between males and females. Thank you for joining me. So are you a doctor? Because I saw something said Dr. Wendy. I am. I'm not a medical doctor or a clinical psychologist, but I hold a religious studies doctorate in pastoral counseling with an emphasis or specialization on counseling related to autism. So some people do call me Dr. Wendy, but uh, that's not something I use much. It's just like a nickname. (laughs) Do you mind sharing a little bit about yourself and what brought you to start this line of work? First, I spent uh, 40 years in a career in special education and psychology in the school systems. And then I retired. Now, during that time, I married a man who it turned out he was autistic. We didn't know that. We just fell in love like you do. And we had three children. Two of them were autistic, uh, but again, didn't know it until they were older. They were all late diagnosed. And my husband died back in 09 and in 2016, he had a heart attack. But in 2016, I retired and we moved from California to Oregon. I thought I might write a book and maybe see one or two clients for consulting about autism. But now I just sent a contract for my ninth book. Um, and instead of just me seeing a client once a week, I've got um, a group practice with the 12 employees who we see people all across the United States for autism assessment, also counseling and life coaching. It got a lot bigger than you had expected it to. It got bigger, but it was fun while it got bigger. I found a publisher that is like my favorite. Actually, they were my favorite publisher back when I was just a person who buys books. I would always buy books from them because they specialize in autism. And I really loved their authors, you know, um, Temple Grandin and uh, Ellen Notbaum, uh, who wrote uh, 10 Things Every Child with Autism Wishes You Knew. She's wonderful. So I started writing books with them and we just kept going. You know, I would get another idea and they would say yes again. And that's been a, a fun journey. It's not a, it's not one of those things where you get rich writing because um, it's more a, a, of the heart because, uh, you know, we, we don't go into writing to become uh, millionaires. I don't think, I don't know anybody who's, I know a lot of writers and none of us are millionaires, but we're all, we have a voice and uh, writing is one way to, to get our voice heard. I have seen a rise in people saying they are diagnosed with autism. And some people even will talk about that it's the blame of TikTok. Like they'll even say there's TikTok autism, people who self-diagnose. But why do you think so many people are being actually diagnosed as adults compared to younger? Yeah, that's a good question. 
No, of course, one thing, I've had this long career. And back when I started, autism was seen as a one in 10,000 event that you would probably never see anyone who was autistic in your classroom, for instance. And back then, the criteria, the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistics Manual, it part of the requirements to be called autistic were you had to also have what they used to call mental retardation. Now we call it intellectual disability. But there are plenty of smart people who have all the other characteristics. And it took a while for powers that be to say, oh, you can be smart. You can be highly intelligent and still be autistic because you have all these other social and sensory communication types of issues. So that's part of it is that there was a change. People are getting better at recognizing it. And TikTok has a lot to do with that because if if, if you're following someone on TikTok and thinking, oh, this person is just like me, I love this person. And then that person says, by the way, I'm autistic. A light bulb can go off. It's like, if you're autistic, then I must be autistic. I mean, I personally am not autistic, but I know a lot of late diagnosed people. I've worked with many. So more people are, are for self-diagnosing, which I respect, and then sometimes seeking out a confirmation. It can be difficult for late diagnosed people to get that confirmation, partly because one of the one of the things that got them this far without being autistic is masking, and especially girls and women. Uh, when a little girl goes to kindergarten for the first time, it might be a mystifying experience. Here's all these little people running around. They all know how to play together. It's like they get together and just boom, automatically they're friends. And here I am, a little, you know, alien looking at all these people. But whereas a little boy might, you know, act up, spit around in circles, flap his hands because he's stressed and he needs to re reduce that stress somehow, you know, self-regulate. And people will say, oh, he must be autistic. He's spinning around and shaking his hands. Whereas uh, little girls, some of them are more likely to just go within themselves instead of acting out. They can't tell on their facial expressions that they're completely at sea. Um, they do spin around and flap their hands. It's like, how cute they're dancing. It's <laughs> just, we look at it differently. And you're more likely to find little girls in kindergarten who will be the mother hen, who will say, oh, let me take you under my wing and you come play with us. And then you'll be like my little doll. I'll tell you how to play. And you play like I tell you, it's like, thank goodness somebody's telling me how to play because our autistic girls didn't know how to play automatically. I mean, obviously they can learn. So uh, one of the things that they learn early on is to mask, is to observe and imitate. And if everybody else is smiling and laughing, then I'm going to smile and laugh. And if everybody else is frowning and shaking their heads, then I'm going to frown and shake my head because that's a survival strategy. You can get by socially if you can imitate others. It's a skill that girls and women are better at. It seems some studies have, have demonstrated that. They just seem to be better at masking. But the women I talk to, by the time they get to be in their 20s, 30s, 40s, some of them 60s, they're exhausted. That is hard work, I understand. Always feeling like you're putting on a persona. And some of them are surprised when I tell them that People in the neuromajority, like me, who don't have autism, we never think about eye contact. Never think about it. It is just so natural and there's no discomfort. It's like, I have no plan for which eye do I look at? When can I look away? How soon should I look back? Can I fake it by looking at the glasses or the hair? I don't ever think about that. And I don't plan out social conversations. And many of the women that I meet, it's like, 
I'm constantly planning out what I'm going to say in the social conversation. I'm thinking about eye contact. I'm thinking about what facial expression am I supposed to put on now? It's hard work. And they're doing all this hard work. And at some point they realize everybody else is not working this hard. They are just going through life without thinking about the things that our autistic girls and women are really putting a lot of mental effort and emotional effort. And it's tiring. And sometimes they just want to stop. They just want to mask. It's like, I don't want to go hide in the bathroom if I need to flap my hands because that's self-regulating. It just feels good. It kind of gets the stress out. And it kind of does. But for autistic people who need to do something and they felt like I can't, so I have to clench my fists or I'll just bite the insides of my cheeks or I'll just jiggle one knee instead of moving the way my body wants me to move. I feel like people should just get to move how they want to move. (laughs) It's not hurting anybody. I've never been diagnosed with autism, but I actually, I would be one of those that TikTok autism, because when I started watching a lot of those videos, for me, it was YouTube actually. And Uh I follow some, I cannot remember her name. It's something mama. It's about being on the spectrum, like on the spectrum mama or something like that. But anyway, I started watching her and I identified with her a lot. One of the things that I really identified is that I remember growing up and it was like I had a checklist. So I would watch what people did. And then if I did something and noticed that it was not pleasing, it was like, okay, I need to make sure I never do that again. So social interactions was more like a checklist for me. And I had a really hard time. I was very shy. And I actually got voted shyest in high school. And the thing is, is I didn't really feel as shy as people thought I was. For me, it was, I just didn't know how to communicate. So I just kind of stood back. But anyway, I don't know if I have autism or not, but I've always been curious. But what specifically are the symptoms of autism? In the DSM or the diagnostic code, it's it's like the Bible for diagnosing. There's two main parts, part A and part B. Part A is about social communication and interaction. It's if socialization is difficult and people struggle to make friends or to keep friends, if having a social conversation is very uncomfortable, they have to plan it out and then they're stressed out about it and then they're exhausted. Or if they're always being misunderstood, people think they're being rude when that was far from their intention and misunderstanding others, you know, being a very literal thinker. And when someone says something and you take it literally and then they either laugh and they think you're joking and you pretend you were joking or they think you're stupid and you're not stupid, not you personally, but one, a different way of communicating, being very often very honest, which is a a positive trait for anyone, but being too honest can get someone in trouble as well. Oh, one little girl, I guess uh, her mother said, uh, do I look fat in these pants or do these, do these pants make me look fat? And the little girl said, oh no, the pants don't make you look fat. It's you that make the pants look fat. (laughs) which was completely honest and did not make her mother feel better about that. (laughs) But so that's part A, social communication and interaction. Part B has to do with what they call restricted repetitive behaviors. The typical is like hand flapping, but that could be, you know, the jiggling, tensing body parts so that nobody sees what you're doing, but it's providing whatever feedback they need. Mannerisms with objects like flipping pins or twirling, twirling the hair, and then there's a, there's a 
adherence to routine, having a schedule is so important to many people on the spectrum, many autistic people, that if something changes their routine, it can be really hard to recover from. Driving to work and there's a detour that could, you know, their whole day could be ruined. It's just, there's a comfort in predictability. And it makes sense because if communication is different from everyone else's communication, they can feel like the world is a chaotic place. People say things and suddenly everything understands, everyone else understands something that I don't know what just happened, but they all got it. <laughs> um, so if the world can be scary and chaotic, you want to control it as much as you can. And having a routine that you can count on is great. For some people, the way that they go through a routine of brushing their teeth every morning it just, it's always the same. And there's a comfort to routine. There's a comfort to the very same thing every day. But if someone interrupts them in the middle of it, you know, for most of us, it's like, we're brushing our teeth. We can stop and answer a question and then we'll get back to our routine. And the interruption is nothing. But a autistic girl might have to start over or might just quit. It's like, now I can't brush my teeth. Or I have to go back to step one and start the whole routine again. Because that routine is so very important. And sensory is also part of part B. Some are sensory seekers. You know, they love to look at tiny things and look, you know, if you look at, if you put your hand between the light source and your eyes, you can see how it changes when your fingers go past it. Now you and I might do that for a second, but somebody who is visually seeking maybe could do that for an hour and just be fascinated by the sensual experience, the visual experience, or there's sensory avoiding Maybe auditory is a really avoidant. So loud noises, unexpected noises, sometimes very specific sounds like the sound of someone chewing or of silverware scraping against each other or dishes clattering in the kitchen. I know one woman who they only have bamboo or plastic silverware in their whole house. They have no metal utensils just so that won't happen because when the knife scrapes against the fork, she just freezes and it's like the most excruciating pain for her. What everybody else would say, well, that's nothing, but it's not nothing for her. And so she deserves to be able to make her home setting work for her, whatever she needs to do. Some people wear headphones uh, all the time or earplugs. And of course, there are many different, you know, types of sensory things you might be seeking or you might be avoiding. And each person uh, is different in that. But those are other characteristics of autism. I know for me, that was one of the things my husband actually was like, well, maybe because one that I have not shared with anyone is that I cannot stand the sound of a zipper. And it's not just, I dislike it. It's like whenever I have to, there's dread every time I zip a zipper for whatever reason, do not yeah. like it. But my dog, he has diabetes. And so he's been drinking a lot and I cannot stand that sound. And he thinks it's hilarious because I, it's like, I just cannot handle that noise and he will not stop drinking. And my husband's like, dogs need water. <laughs> yeah. It's not something you can control. You know, logically in your brain that you want him to drink because it's good for him, but that doesn't change the response that is just, you know, from within. You know, you had said earlier about it's really not anything to do with intelligence. And I think a lot of 
very famous people who are quite intelligent actually have recently come out saying they're autistic and there's Elon Musk, there's Bill Gates finally admitted he has been diagnosed for his entire life and Mark Zuckerberg. I don't know if that one is suspected or if he actually came out, but I know the other two have said it. And I think Mark Zuckerberg has actually said he, but I'm not 100% sure on that one. But anyway, so how does autism present differently in kids and adults? I mean, some of the things are just continuing lifelong, but just differently, you know, as, as they go through the stages. I used to only work with kids and now I only work with adults. With kids, it's really the same core things, but whereas with a communication, they might just not get what the other kids are talking about on the playground, or they might not realize that if the boys talk about this on the playground, when there are no girls or teachers around, it's okay. They're talking about a subject that it's okay to talk about. So then the guy goes into class or in front of his grandmother and says some of the same things that he's heard because the other guys were all saying those words, but the other guys all knew we don't say this in front of teachers or in front of our parents or even in front of girls. This is called locker room talk. And autistic boys might not automatically pick up on that and they can get in trouble a lot. Sometimes a a child has gotten in trouble. One guy is like a fifth grader and kids are like, the boys are like punching each other on the arm. Like that's a thing that they do to show that we're friends. And he was like, oh, I'm finally part of this. You know, we're punching each other on the arm. And then he sees somebody that he rides the bus with as a neighbor. So he knows them. So he wants to go punch them on the arm. The thing is that was a kindergarten girl that lives next door to him that he likes. So he punches her on the arm. Of course, when a fifth grader punches a kindergartner, it's not okay. So these things might be coming to, and often it's not a case of, oh, we think they're autistic. It's a case of, this is a behavior problem. They're just in trouble, which is unfortunate. By the time these same guys are adults, they have learned to, as you mentioned, to have a system, to have maybe a checklist. I've heard people say, I have a recipe for that, or I have a SOP, a standard operating procedure for social conversation. They've created a lot of things where it's like, oh, it's okay to punch another boy, but it's not okay to punch a girl or someone who's younger. Or it's okay to punch a boy outside waiting for the bus, but it's not okay to punch a boy in the classroom during math. And they create the rules. And by the time they're adults, they're following the rules and nobody looks at them and says, you must be autistic, but it's hard work. And then they end up dreading interactions with a lot of people because they know that they have to be following these rules. They can't just be themselves. And they're so exhausted, as you've said earlier. I know you've already gone into this, but how do the symptoms present differently in men and women? Women tend to be better at masking and they tend to modify their external signs. So instead of flapping their hands, they might rub their fingers or flick their fingers. And it doesn't look like an autistic stem. It just looks like a little nervous habit or jiggling their knee or biting the insides of their cheeks. So they learn to kind of make it smaller or they're going to do it down at their sides uh, up by their faces. And boys tend to be not as good about hiding those things. It's maybe just the way that they were raised, the way people are socialized in our society. I don't know a lot about that, but studies have shown that girls unless they also have intellectual disability. If they have both intellectual disability and autism, they're more likely to be recognized for the autism. But if they are smart, 
people will just say, oh, she's just shy. Oh, she's just a little OCD. Oh, she's just so smart that it's hard for her to relate to those other kids because she's smarter than they are. And I hate to make a big thing about gender differences, but we, we have been raised differently. So yeah, by the time they're adults, the late diagnosed ones, there are not as many obvious differences. I've, I've met many men who mask the way women mask. They just got very good at doing that. But finally, they realize, like the women, this is hard work. There's more here that I need to understand about myself. I know one of the things that I didn't realize I should be masking if I do have it was, and this is one of the signs that I think I might have had it and this is more of a female one, is I was in ninth grade when I first realized that girls do their hair. I just would brush my hair and whatever I did is what would happen. And then somebody mm -hmm. made a comment and I was like, oh, I'm supposed to be doing something with my hair. And so it just never occurred to me that they spend time doing their hair. And I knew my friends did that, but I just figured it was something they enjoyed doing. It never occurred to me that that was something that you do to be socially acceptable. Anyway, what would you recommend for somebody if they expect they might have autism? Is it important to get a diagnosis or is it something that it's okay for them to just learn on their own? Well, not everyone needs a formal diagnosis. There's so much available online on the YouTube, on the TikTok, and there are many, many books and articles. I really respect self-diagnosis because nobody knows you better than you know yourself for anyone. So if somebody has done a lot of research and a lot of introspection and says, I really think I'm autistic, I feel like, congratulations, you're autistic. Sometimes though, somebody needs accommodations at work or at school, or they just have relatives that will never say, oh, I guess you are autistic, that they feel that they have to show someone they need a piece of paper. And then it would be a good idea to get a, an assessment. But if you don't need a documentation piece of paper, it's a lot of money to go through if you don't need it. Some people that we work with, they just want to know for themselves. And it's like, I'm pretty sure I am, but it's like they have um, imposter syndrome and they don't feel comfortable being in the autism community without that diagnosis. And there's a, so much support available in the autism community. And many of the places like uh, Facebook groups, there are some of them, if, if someone goes there and says, I don't know if I belong here, I'm just self-diagnosed, the response will be, you belong. If there's another one that says, oh, no, we're just for people with diagnosis, or oh, no, we're just for parents, or oh, no, we're just for something else, you try the different groups and find the one that feels like home to you. And when you find that, I think people will find acceptance and find other people that they could say, you too, I can't stand the smell of bananas either. Or they'll find people who can't stand the sound of a zipper, maybe. There's, there's so many things like that, that this is a community where they get, it's not just like, it's not an enjoyable sound for me. It's like, you just can't even. And I get that because I live with people. We don't, uh, we don't have uh, fabrics that are like canvas, um, like, like backpacks and notebooks, because if you brush your hand against canvas, it makes a sound that for one of my people, that's excruciating. It's just worst possible sound. So we just don't buy it in the house. I've got another one of my kids who stripe, you know, visual, certain stripes are fine. Other stripes, if depending on how close they are or what the color contrast is, is just going to make them sick. So 
their sister will say, uh, like if we're shopping together, hold something up. Says, what do you think about this, Noel? And if Noel says, oh yeah, that's okay. You should get that if you like it. Then she goes, oh no, I'm not going to buy that. <laughs> because they don't want their siblings to have to look away because the stripes are hurting their eyes. And to have people that really accept you and say, whatever your good thing is, we get it because we've got the weird things too. And there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, even saying that it's weird is like, does that sound like a judgment? I happen to like weird. Because... But having a community of other people who really get you and understand you and say, oh, me too, same. That that can be so fulfilling. Is There's so many. What are some things that someone with autism might struggle with where they do need the services or tools and to have that diagnosis? Yeah, a lot of people that I've worked with, when the pandemic hit, of course, they hated the reason for it. We all did. That was a horrible thing for our planet. But they loved working from home. It's like suddenly they were less depressed and anxious. They were so productive. They could get so much done at home. And during that time, many of them with the YouTube and the TikTok realized, oh, I'm autistic. That's why all my friends are saying this is horrible. I hate working from home. And I'm going, this is wonderful. But sometimes the employer says, you have to go back to work. And if they are productive at home and they're less productive at work and they're spending half their time in the bathroom trying to de-stress, it makes sense to be allowed to work from home. But for some businesses, they would need an actual formal diagnosis to be able to say, I, I need this as an accommodation for my disability. I need to work from home. And a lot of people, that's what the thing is. They're so much more productive when they work from home. But the powers that be can't just say, oh, sure. Well, you know, if it's a big company, they have HR, they have all the different rules and they can make an accommodation if they have that documentation. Now, hopefully if you're working for a small company and you know the boss, maybe they'll just say, oh, sure. But some people work for a big organization that needs paperwork or they can't make accommodations. One of the books that really stuck out to me is because I'm actually part of the homeschooling community. As my oldest actually graduated as a homeschooler, and now my three youngest are currently being homeschooled. I noticed one of your books, it said multi-award winning book, Homeschooling Autism Style, is geared for those homeschooling a child with autism. What are some things a parent should keep in mind when homeschooling a child with autism? First, let me just talk about that book, and then I'll talk about the strategies, because I love that book. <laughs> that book came about, I was in the process of writing a different book. And then the pandemic hit and I had written an article and a chapter for another book about homeschooling for, for autism, because all these parents who maybe had kids out in special ed programs with all the specialists and everything, and suddenly they're home full time and the parents are great at parenting, but they're not teachers. So my middle daughter, who is not autistic, but she has had some health problems that meant that she did have to be homeschooled a lot when she was not able to get out into the classroom as growing up. And she said, you need to write a book about homeschooling for autism. And I said, well, I'm writing this other book. And she said, but you need to write this book now. I said, well, I don't know. And she just kept pushing. And she's not usually pushy, but she knows when she's right. So when she said, you really need to do this, I said, well, you write it with me. Because she's a writer. She's a great writer. I said, well, you write it with me. She said, yes. I said, okay, I will pitch it to the publisher. I pitched it to the publisher. I said, I know we're still writing this parenting book that I'm doing with somebody else. But do you want this? They said, Yes, can you have it done in two weeks? Well, the other one we've been working on for nine months, but it's like, okay, I said, Siobhan, can we do that in two weeks? She says, yeah. 
And for two straight weeks, no weekends, no days off, I would get up early and write, 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 write. She would get up early and she would write, write. I would read what she wrote. She would read what I wrote. We'd send it out to our other reader for feedback. And two solid weeks of two people working full time, we got that book done. And it did win an award, a nonfiction uh, authors association gold award, which was so gratifying. And I loved writing with my daughter. I think the main message that I wanted to give to parents in the pandemic was, don't worry. The kids will be all right. Create a safe place and a happy place. And there are ways that kids can learn that don't feel like I'm sitting in a classroom doing these things. I guess one of the things was um, start from the hammock. Start stood for, I love when words acronyms, homeschooling autism style. And it was start from your hammock. It It's schedule theme-based activities at routine times. So schedule, you need to know where you're going, not just wing it. And because kids, uh, especially kids, autistic kids, thrive on a schedule because it's, it's routine, it's predictable. And theme-based activities, it's just more fun. And if you can, it helps the brain to say this connects to that, connects to the other thing. So our theme might be water. So we're going to talk about animals that live in the water. We're going to play in the water, whatever it is. And at routine times, to have routines throughout the day that you schedule these theme-based activities um, is really important. And then uh, start from your hammock. Well, the hammock idea is relax. It's going to be okay. You can relax. But hammock stands for activities that are related to, and of course, each later letter stands for something. Heart. The, the H is heart. Heart, action, mind, music, outdoors, chores, and kitchen. So heart activities uh, help with empathy, thinking about things from someone else's perspective. And it might be if they're watching their favorite cartoon, asking questions about, so how do you think Peppa Pig feels about what mom, I don't know those characters, you know, but whoever it is, what do you, how do you think they feel? Action is getting them outside and moving, which, you know, of course is really important. All right, action. Uh, mind, activities that get kids thinking. So there's some activities that really get the brain power going. Uh, music is so great for kids because they say that it helps with math and reading and it's fun. Outdoors, getting outdoors every day as much as you can is so good. And so many autistic people I know love nature. They just have a deep abiding love for nature. Chores, chores have to be done. So why not let the kids learn while they're doing a chore? Not only are some of them educational, but the whole idea of doing chores. And in fact, looking long-term, you know, as a parent of adults and working with adults, if you can go back in time and start when they're young, maybe the household chores can be, you know, make up like job announcements. Like I'm posting a job opening for uh, Feed the Dog. And if you want to feed the dog, here's how much I'm paying for the job, feed the dog. But you have to fill out this application. So that's some writing skills, application skills. And then you have to say, you know, why you would be good at it because the dog loves me. <laughs> and then have an interview with maybe one or both parents or someone. And they would ask interview questions about, do you think you can handle, you know, you have to be responsible. The dog has to eat before you eat. 
and then give them the job and pay them for the job. Uh, money for work done just feels better than allowance for breathing. And then if you have more than one kid who wants the same job, it could be a temporary job, like two weeks. And then somebody else might apply for that job next, next, you know, in two weeks, but maybe you'll apply for unloading dishwasher job. So that kind of thing builds in those skills so that by the time they have to go to a real job interview, they've had experience doing job interviews. They know somebody's going to ask me, what are your strengths and weaknesses? <laughs> Why do you think you'd be good at this job? And then kitchen. Of course, everything you do in the kitchen, it's got math, you're measuring, you're reading the recipe, you're timing it, um, safety rules. So a combination of all these different kinds of things can really provide a lot of educational benefit. And, you know, we're not saying don't do the worksheets that your teachers give you. But at the very beginning of the pandemic, a lot of schools were struggling and they didn't necessarily have worksheets to send home for autistic kids. Nobody was prepared for the pandemic. We couldn't have been, I guess. But to feel like the things that we're doing, we all have to eat. Let's do stuff in the kitchen. We all want to go outdoors. Let's count by twos as we jump over the lines and the cracks or something. To just know that the kids are going to be okay. You can provide a structure for them that, that they can feel good about. And when they see that schedule... They might know, yeah, now I have to do a chore, but then I'm going to have outdoor time. And then we do this. And then we're going to have you know, random dance party where somebody puts on music and everybody just dances. You know, the parents, the sillier the parents are, the more the kids love it. And that's like maybe two minutes out of a day. If you're strong, you could do five minute dancing. But it costs nothing for the parents to provide that burst of absolute fun and silliness. And then, you know, people are happy. So, so yeah, I loved writing this book and thank you for bringing it up and giving me a chance to talk about it. Well, I just want to thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. Before we go, I wanted to ask you one more question though. If someone were newly diagnosed with autism, which of your books would you most recommend for them? I, I think the first book in the Adulting While Autistic book series originally came out as Independent Living with Autism. Right now, I'm in the process of rewriting it to rebrand it, Independent Living While Autistic, book one of the Adulting While Autistic book series. I've also got Dating While Autistic, Relating, Parenting While Autistic just came out, and I just signed a contract to write Working While Autistic. But Independent, independent Living While Autistic is probably the one. I just want to say one thing my books have in common is I make up fictional characters, people that I enjoy making them up. But for every chapter, whatever the chapter is talking about, each of these maybe five characters, I just write a little story about how, what the challenge was for them in this topic and how they overcame it. I enjoy it. It kind of illustrates it like, oh, that's like me. Or maybe that one's not, but another one is. But also at the end of every chapter, I like to include stories written by actually autistic people, just little paragraphs, their words of wisdom and encouragement. Because I'm not autistic, and although I feel like I know a lot about it, having been married to an autistic man, parenting, and then years I was working with autistic kids before I knew that my own family was autistic. So I know a lot about autism, but I, I'm still not autistic. So these people that are, I want to put their words into the book so that they can hopefully touch other autistic people to say, oh yeah, you get me. Thank you again, Wendy. I appreciate oh, you just you. taking the time out of your schedule to talk with me. I want to also just thank the listener. If you are interested in learning more about Wendy and what books she offers, you can check her out at her website, 
wendelawhitcombmarsh.com. Uh, you can find the spelling in the show notes. If you are an adult looking for an autism assessment, then you can go to her other website, adultautismassessment.com. And you can also find all these links in the show notes as well. And if you appreciate this episode and would like to hear more like it, please press the subscribe button. Again, thank you very much, Wendy. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Agnes. I've loved spending time with you. Definitely. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Authors Alcove. We will be back next week on Wednesday where we will have a writer share yet another piece of work. Also, every other Tuesday, we do learn from experts such as editors, marketing execs, book cover artists, illustrators, and more. If you are interested in being a guest on our show, feel free to go to authorsalcove.com, go to the podcast tab, and then click on Be a Guest. If you're looking for a healed heart, hop on over to our sister podcast, Strength, Love, and Healing with Authors Alcove. You can find that on Spotify and the Apple Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. Have a great day.